Hi everybody, I'm Josh Constein, your host of Press Club. And today we're talking about the biggest scoop in Facebook history, the Facebook files published by the Wall Street Journal. It reveals that Facebook had done internal research showing that it actually knew that its algorithm changes were incentivizing hatred, sensationalism, and outrage. It also knew that Instagram was hurting teens and including causing one in three teen girls who have body image issues to feel worse about themselves and even contributing to percentages of people who actually feel suicidal thoughts after using these products. And that Facebook's X-Check is a cross-check program designed to shield its VIPs from content moderation policies that it applies to all other users. 5.6 million VIPs are given a free pass when some of their content violates Facebook's policies, which has led to over 10 or over 15 billion views of content that was supposed to not exist on Facebook. And this scoop really shows what has been going on inside of Facebook, that it knew about some of these problems, but resisted changes in part because it thought it would hurt its bottom line. It could hurt its profits. And so today we're going to be joined by some uh, Wall Street Journal be reporter behind the report, as well as Kate Klonick, professor who studied this space and in including uh, the, the Facebook Oversight Board and the chief security officer from Facebook, ex-chief security officer from Facebook, Alex Stamos. And so I want to quickly ask, you know, what does this really mean for Facebook? Uh, Kate, maybe you could just give us your reaction to the news. And what do you think this means about coloring the perception of the company going forward? So I think there's a whole bunch of things. One, uh, I think that most people inside Silicon Valley or people who have been following this for a long time. And I will say that like, I'm known recently for the oversight board, but way before that, I kind of also did a deep empirical dive into um, kind of from an outsider's perspective to explain to the world how um, Facebook's then completely opaque black box um, content moderation system worked, which included the cross-check function. Um, and so like people have known this, I want to say that there's something very specific that Jeff, who is the, you know, who, collected these documents brought and the person who leaked brought to the world is that it kind of is a very dramatic way all at once to show people what's happening. I mean, we've known all of these things in pieces, right? But I think that the drama of it is really significant. Um, to that end, um, I have, I've talked to Jeff about this and Alex and like other, lots of other people over the past couple of days. I think it has a bunch of different implications. Um, one really I'm one kind of sad implication is that I really wonder if we will ever have internal metrics inside companies anymore um, in the way that they in like in the sense that like it just creates a giant liability for them if they then decide that they have to make a business decision that goes against what their internal empirics tell them. Um, and I think that that's maybe one of the kind of, there's lots of great things that are going to come out of this, but I just kind of wanted to raise that early on and say that like, that might be a downside that we see coming out of the next couple of months, weeks, years. Okay. So with that, I want to introduce Jeff Horwitz, one of the Wall Street Journal reporters behind this you know, absolute blockbuster of a scoop. Jeff, I don't want you to get your sources in any trouble. I don't want to put them at risk, but maybe you could just give us a little bit of the backstory of how this whole story came together. Uh, sure. You know, obviously, I can't talk too much about how many people who whatever, but I think what I can say is that people who have been asked to do work related to societal problems, and you've taken on that responsibility at the company, you know, I think the companies read as frequently, well, you know, people just don't like being told, no, it's my way or the highway. I think that the reaction of people who have been given jobs that they're not allowed to complete, um, that feel potentially like they are very meaningful on a societal level, a lot of them just burn out. Um, I mean, I think like burnout is like kind of people talk about it, but it feels in, in, inside the company. And it seems like it's actually pretty common among folks that did integrity work. Um, when they leave the company, it's just like almost kind of just like depression type stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, um, thinking through what one is familiar with and sort of making decisions the way that some people have made decisions in which they are very active rather than just like leaving in disgust, I think is a really interesting approach. Obviously, you know, it depends on sort of moral framework, but certainly seems to me like there's, you know, given the material that we're publishing, 
there's a pretty good case for public interest and for the idea that the company isn't self-correcting. That's super fascinating that you know, there's almost a moral obligation for whistleblowers inside the company to say, yes, you could leave the company, but by sharing some of these materials and giving the public a better look, you could really actually advance the, the goals that you might have had joining that company in the first place. If you're coming there to try to improve safety, to try to improve practices and try to depolarize society and help you know, people actually communicate safely without causing more societal outrage, that you know, this might be the best way that you could actually do that. Um, Alex, I know that you have been incredibly vocal about the company after leaving, and I think you've proved one of the people that I think is a voice of reason with deep authority in the space. So maybe you could just talk about your own perspective on how people share this kind of stuff externally, uh, what the moral obligation is, as well as your interpretation of what the Facebook file scoops mean. Yeah, I, so it's interesting because I think each of Jeff's stories Actually, is it, it kind of hits differently for me, right? So there's a story about kind of outrage metrics and changes to the platform and how I don't want to be the one that sums up. So Jeff, go ahead and jump in here if you want to do kind of a summary of your three. Oh, we're at four now. Jeff, we, we gave a quick description of the first three, but you know, I, I'm happy to give a quick one of that. But maybe you could just talk, tell us about the newest one that has apparently just dropped. Just dropped. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I've been referring to this week as Shark Week. As it approached, it became apparent that indeed the Wall Street Journal management did want to run five stories in one week of like the 3,000 word variety. So it's been a rough week. Uh, Today's was on uh, the company's chronic inattention to overseas problems. And there are like so many ways this can be demonstrated, whether it's just like where dollars are spent in terms of user safety. And like bluntly, it's spent in the places where the least terrible things are happening and likely to happen to uh, like just specific examples of what does get Facebook to move. And what that is, is press attention. Um, I mean, I think, like, and Alex, I'm sure will be able to speak to this. Press attention, it seems like, is what moves the company. That's just what, like, th- that is what does it. Um, and, like, weirdly, because they've made our industry somewhat relevant, um, you know, as is their right and as a good business. But um, so press attention. And then in the, the other case in this was, Apple basically telling Facebook that if it did not manage to clean up human trafficking, it was going to get the Facebook and the blue and um, blue and IG apps um, removed from the app store, uh, which like in the following days, like literally hundreds of thousands of posts that had been just like left up previously were removed. Um, and we're talking like some pretty crazy, like literally people who are maids being sold without their consent type level of trafficking here. You know, this isn't just like a a bad job with a, you know, a lengthy contract. Um, So I think, um, you know, and it just seems like the company's strategy has long been basically when something abhorrent does blow up overseas, you apologize, you say you're working to do better, but the resources aren't there. Like you still can't, you still don't have people who can speak most versions of Arabic, like most dialects. You still don't have like classifiers that work in I mean, even in Myanmar, there is like still some classifier work that isn't on par, or at least there was not long ago. Um, so like this, the investment just isn't there a lot of these places. And I think something that's also important is that like Facebook's approach is very much language based. And so if the company, um, if the company is uh, like doesn't invest in a language, the tools available are exceedingly minimal. Like all the things that have made Facebook in the U.S. a little softer around the edges, a lot of those things don't work elsewhere. Yeah, so I think if, you, if you're just joining us and you want a quick recap of some of the other stories, you know, Facebook uh, made a massive change to its algorithm in 2018, promoting friends and family content to improve well-being, but it was actually to stop a multi-year decline in likes and sharing. But when they made this change, it drove polarization. It made the service angrier because people realized that posts that were negative and hateful got a lot more reach in the newsfeed. And that led some political parties and news outlets to massively increase the amount of negative content they were pushing. Instagram, meanwhile, knew 32 
2% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. That's from Facebook's internal documents. And that 13% of British users and 6% of American users traced their desire to kill themselves to Instagram. 14% of boys in the US said Instagram made them feel worse. 40% of users said Instagram made them feel unattractive and poor. And that Facebook's X-Check protected 5.8 million VIPs from policy violating content getting removed. And that was specifically done to prevent PR fires. Like Jeff was saying, it is the PR, the you know, the press attention that drives changes for Facebook. And in part, this is why they they made the, this this system X check. But you know, when soccer star Neymar posted non-consensual intimate intim- imagery, which is commonly known but shouldn't really be called revenge porn, of a woman who accused him of sexual assault, X check delayed its removal, causing that content to be viewed by 56 million people, reposted by 6,000 times, and it led to bullying of the accuser. And, you know, the fact that this is all what this really means is that Facebook knew a lot of this stuff was happening and purposefully didn't make changes, I think really flies in the face of so much of what they've talked about uh, in terms of their content moderation effort, their massive investment into that space uh, and their desire to make this, you know, a, a less polarizing space for people. Now, Kate, I know you've researched these topics specifically. And so I want to ask you, what do you think this means? Does should we still believe when Facebook says that, you know, the consensus isn't there, that something is bad for them, which is what it told, what the, what the public told uh, or what, what Instagram told the public about uh, its effect on teens or that, you know, when it, when senators asked, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, did, is there research to show this? You know, he didn't, so he didn't cite these reports despite these being internally known. So maybe you could just give me a perspective of, should we still be able to believe what Facebook says when it says that, you know, it, it's not sure if something is bad for people? or not? First of all, I think that there's, um, to, to the point that Jeff made about the, the, the most, the place the most vulnerable is press. Like that has been true since like 2015. And that is one of the reasons that for a long time, they kept the content moderation system and all of this stuff from cross check to everything else, like in a black box, because they didn't want people to see how they were being adjudicated. And then one, let bad actors take advantage and get around the rules. And then two, it kind of creates a sense of entitlement to like, you're entitled to adjudication on these rules. You're entitled to appeal on these rules. And that's, I, I mean, I personally think that's correct, that you, that that's exactly what happens. Um, but, but that's why they, they kind of kept it out, um, for so long. Um, and I just think that, um, it's something that the company has long acknowledged. Um, it's in its 10 Ks, um, every single year and every quarter that they run, they are incredibly vulnerable to bad press and that it minimizes, it like hurts, especially around, they call it content review, um, and other types of issues. So I think that, I think that like the, the press and Jeff's reporting here play like an incredibly, incredibly important forcing function in particular when it comes to lies before Congress, which are one of the only kind of places that we have any type of official or um, meaningful oversight of these companies. Um, that being said, like, let's also remember that it has been like 10 years of dragging CEOs in front of Congress and not much has changed. Um, and so uh, again, uh, it's really not clear to me how, um, how else we're going to start getting kind of rubber hitting the road and changing the company um, besides like continued leaks like this, which are just like incredibly inefficient. And as I kind of said at the top of the show that create, unfortunately, weird counter incentives for, um, for those types of internal looks to kind of be happening. I experienced this firsthand. One of the last big scoops I wrote before leaving TechCrunch to join venture fund SignalFire was about Facebook spying on teens, paying teens $20 a month to suck up all their data via VPN, even their encrypted data, and look through it to be able to determine what other apps they were using, what features in those apps they were using so that they could copy them and better compete. And Facebook at the time, told the public that, oh, less than 5% of the people who chose to participate in this market research program were teens. And that's what it told the Senate too. And then months later, it revealed, oh, it was actually 18%, which is much bigger. And the fact that like it was willing to just lie about this uh, or you know, to pretend like it didn't know what was really going on with these internal programs, I think the fact that this has happened over and over, this isn't an isolated mistake, really does shed some, some serious doubt on all of the public information that it releases. Uh, 
And what I want to ask a little bit more about is this decline in likes and sharing, which I think is one of the things that's really been driving a lot of these actions. You know, Facebook not wanting to make some of these changes is because it's been scared of this steady decline in likes and sharing that's been going on for years now. Uh, Alex, maybe you could just talk a little bit about like, how did that that shift impact Facebook and its mentality? It seems like it might have pushed it from a kind of peacetime to a wartime mentality where it was willing to cut corners and make sacrifices even to its morals in order to reverse this change that it saw as an existential threat to the service. So I appreciate you and Jeff giving the overview because I think all these these four stories have been stacked on top of each other and there, there's actually like at least three kind of different issues here. So Two of the stories that I think are linked and have and what you just asked about was the studies around likes and shares, algorithmic changes, as well as the Instagram study, right? So kind of the big picture I think that's happening there is that, you know, since 2016, there have been the creation of these groups called integrity teams, right? So there, there's always been a trust and safety function at Facebook. Um, but uh, after, you know, kind of in the 2018 timeframe, a bunch of teams were consolidated under this heading of integrity, which is basically the, the Facebook term for trust and safety of looking for bad things that happen and stopping it. Um, and that included the creation of, for the first time, kind of real social science research teams. And so you end up with these kind of social science quantitative PhDs combined with data scientists whose job it is to go answer questions at the about what what negative things are happening on the platform at the same depth as the company had studied things about engagement and things that people like about the platform. Uh, and so those, I think those two stories kind of point to a, a core problem, which is that you can invest in these teams and build these big teams full of data scientists and PhDs, and they can write these internal reports that say, we, we noticed something bad happening. But the impact of that is really limited if you don't create the incentive structure in kind of the product teams, especially what's called the growth team, which is the product team whose job it is, it sounds obvious, to both try to push the product to be used by more people, um, but also to make sure people who are current users use it more and more. Um, and you know, those teams have these very detailed metrics that drive every decision they make. Um, and you know, we have kind of, you can see in these reports, the start of the creation of counter metrics, of the measurement of harm and bad things that are happening, but clearly that that's not like being part of the decision process. And Jeff has some examples of here of where that even goes up to like Zuck uh, and decisions are kind of vetoed. And so it doesn't really help you that much if you build these teams of hundreds of data scientists and social scientists to study things. And then you uh, end up just ignoring their output because it could possibly cause, you know, uh, a downturn or, or it, it reduces the impact, the, the positive growth impact that some change happens, has, even if it has a negative kind of harm impact. Um, the other two stories are a little different. On, on the cross-check thing, I mean, we can get into this. I think it's actually totally appropriate for high importance accounts to have a special check on who gets to make a decision. Like you can't have Joe Biden's account, uh, the official White House account, to be able to be flagged by anybody. And that goes in front of any one of a random 50,000 content reviewers. Like the, the only story that gets written as much as there's bad stuff on Facebook is somebody who's good was silenced on Facebook. And so you do have to be kind of careful there. I think the problem with the X check story is that it demonstrates that there's a continued problem of the unification of the product policy team and the government affairs team, um, as well as kind of just a, an overall deference to big stars in the platform like soccer stars that should not exist. Um, you can have a button that says this person with millions of followers who gets reported all the time and adversarial reporting that there's special cues to be handled to handle those re uh, reports. That doesn't mean you actually make an intelligent decision to let them off the hook uh, when they actually are against. And I think we can talk about this some more if you want, but like there's a, you know, the, from a, a, in the United States, the disinformation problem is mostly driven by elites now. And this is kind of a constant problem is um, a number of social media companies holding verified accounts with very large audiences to a much lower standard from a disinformation perspective. And then that is driving a huge amount of the disinformation problem, both around the election and around COVID. And, and then today's stories is a totally different issue, which is kind of adversarial use of the platform to cause harm, which is something that is always going to exist, but it also points out a really true issue, which is that the 
level of investment in outside the United States is nowhere near at, you know, just on plain terms, but especially like on per capita terms, since you're talking about, you know, over 90, 95% of users not being Americans, um, certainly there's not nearly enough investment in the trust and safety functions. And so um, things that would never be acceptable in the United States are things that can happen elsewhere. And, and, um, and that is both on a investment in people, but also as uh, Jeff kind of hinted to an investment in some of the uh, machine learning and tooling that is necessary to operate at scale in all these languages. So I think the two stories that I think are linked here that is interesting is this international story that there's a lot of this content uh, that absolutely violates Facebook rules, but simply because they haven't staffed up properly for international moderation in other languages that understand the nuances of other cultures, they've been missing these things. And then there's the fact that XCheck does reroute uh, the, the moderation to a special queue that's designed to ha- be staffed by full-time employees at Facebook rather than contractors located around the world. Uh, but the, the problem was that they actually have understaffed this to the point that a lot of these posts, you know, if they're posted by somebody who's in the XCheck program, they just actually never get properly moderated. And both of these seem like they're a pretty obvious example of just underfunding to an issue that Facebook knows well of. And maybe that would be a little bit more acceptable if the company was break even or losing money and it's just like, we just don't have the cash. But the company's been pouring out billions in profits a quarter for years and years now. And it seems like there should be enough money in those billions in profit to be able to invest in this space. And it's consciously choosing not to, to keep its share price up or keep it growing. And, you know, I would love to hear maybe you guys perspective on that. The idea that this, some of these problems Facebook knows about, it seems to know the solution for, but it's just underfunding despite having the profits to fund them. Um, I will take that one. So I've actually been um, specifically kind of working on kind of the antitrust idea about uh, some of the antitrust stuff around Facebook right now. And it's brought me to trying to really pin down, I don't think anyone has yet, but like really kind of get like a good estimate of the, of the amount of money that Facebook spends on like the cross-function, what they call cross-function teams, like between operations, integrity, policy, um, government relations and all of these other things to do the work and then outsourced to do all of the work of content moderation. And so annual costs um, that Facebook files in its 10Ks have like last year for 2020 were around $24 billion. And my estimate is like that they spend around $6 billion um, pretty conservatively. Um doing all of these services that we talked about, which is a pretty big chunk of their, of their costs, um, for their, for now compare that to their total revenue. And it's not really much at all. So your point, like, you know, very much holds Josh, but just kind of to like, kind of give an idea, they also have just amped this up like an immense degree over the last couple of years. I also am not saying that as like an excuse. I'm just saying that this has been like for a long time. I mean, since 2008, people have been inside the company railing about how this has to change and how there has to be better moderation as they move from a mostly American college age kid kind of um, community of users to a completely global um, community of users. One of the things I just want to say then again, this is not an excuse. It's just kind of by means of explanation is that the, um, the process of, of, of having rules around speech, um, is a incredibly, um, community sensitive, uh, thing. And as much as Mark Zuckerberg likes to talk about making one big community for the world, Facebook is absolutely not one big community. I mean, there's about 150 people at a time that you're estimated to have be able to have like meaningful connections with or connections with on Facebook. And so imagine that like you have 150 nested, 150, every 150 people is one nested community of people who think they can like all talk in the same way and understand each other and have the same norms around what they expect to see on the platform. And now Facebook is supposed to do that globally across 3 billion users and one set of rules plus global uh, plus like government regulations and geo blocking to conform with those. And you have just like, this is why this problem is just so, 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 so hard. Um, and so, yeah, Jeff, do you want to say something? Uh, yeah, I actually was going to 
just say like, yes, these things like doing things really well at that scale is impossible. However, doing things not quite so badly at that scale seems very possible, if that makes sense. Like I think something that just uh, I have been lucky enough to sort of figure out a little bit over the course of pulling this stuff together is that like content moderation decisions, right, as you know, are like super hard. You can get super deep into them. But like the level of like, are we just missing everything like right and left because just our systems don't work or they're held together with duct tape? Like that feels to me like it may be more the appropriate question to be asking here, right? Like, yes, perfection is unattainable, but it feels like the company may be falling short of that. Okay. So like totally, I actually have wanted to ask you this for a while. I'm genuinely curious. Like, so let's say like Myanmar is a great example. They are not like Facebook can't possibly be making that much money operating in Myanmar. Like what if like, like what would be like from a business perspective, should they just shut off like their service in Myanmar and like, or should they do all of the work of hiring people and trying to keep their service alive or like, which is better? Oh, I, I don't know that like, I'm and particularly not in look, I think what responsible social media looks like for low skill, low bandwidth users is a very different question. Uh, and you know, I, I, I guess I would say, like, I don't know the choice is, is turn it off or have full virality going, if that makes sense. Um, but I, it does seem like the company really is, um, you know, this isn't about money, right? This is that for Myanmar, that's absolutely not like, you know, that, that would be viewed as a failure of the company, even if Myanmar is net negative profitability, which I'm fairly sure it is because I, you know, yeah. So um, it, it seems like it's something where this is actually a ideological choice um, and an important one to the company. And I'm not faulting that. I just think that pulling out versus having the current Facebook might not be the only choices you had, right? I mean, think about all the previous iterations of Facebook there were that did not have the same viral misinformation problems. Yeah, I mean, I know that Facebook has historically taken the perspective that, you know, allowing people to communicate is a critical of critical importance. It can enable, you know, opposition to uh, to, you know, to totalitarian regimes. It can allow communities to organize in really important ways. And I do think in general speech uh, of this kind and this facilitating this kind of, uh, of speech in general is important. And I don't want to see it just pull out of these countries. But Facebook has always operated in sort of a make the money in the Western countries where it has incredibly high average revenue per user and pay effectively to run the service in other countries where buying power is lower and they just can't make it nearly as much per user. And I feel like it already understands this subsidizing model. And so the fact that, you know, I think the fact that it has these profits in the Western world should enable it to be able to, you know, run at a loss in countries like Myanmar, where even if it needs more moderators than uh, that outstrip all of the ad revenue it can earn in the country, it's still its responsibility to do it. And that's kind of what it, you know, the responsibility it takes on for then getting to earn a lot more than it spends in countries like the U.S. So we're kind of bouncing between stories, right? Again, Jeff's shark week. Um, we've bounced between the Mako sharks and the tiger sharks and the great whites. So, um, <laughs> so I just would say, I think on the international aspect, the experience Facebook has had over the last 10 years. So if you build a website and you don't decide that you're going to block countries, it is by default available to everybody. And so the way this pro- progresses is people, they'll launch their website in their local language. If it's an American company, it's going to be in English. You're going to add a couple of European languages or languages that are spoken uh, by large diasporas in the United States. And then really focus on those U.S. users, but you might end up with kind of, uh, you know, people around the world all of a sudden using it without paying attention. And I think, like, there was both the kind of, like you said, this, this idea that communication should be universally available to people was kind of a, I think it still does seem to be like a deep-seated Zuck belief uh, that underlies a lot of uh, the kind of big picture global decisions. Um, that, you know, these things, communication should be available for free to everybody. 
And in some cases, that means making an intentional decision to enter a, a area. In some cases, it means just kind of throwing open the doors and sees what happens. And I think what is I, something that probably will be learned and probably should be learned out of all of these experiences is that you just can't operate that way, that you need to, if you're going to build a communication platform that allows people to interact with each other, that you are innately possibly going to get pulled into lots and lots of horrible things that human beings do to one another, right? That there could be inciting violence and hate speech, bullying and harassment, the sexual abuse of children, the trafficking of people, um, sale of illegal items, that all of these kinds of things are innately the kinds of things that you're going to end up being involved in. And so when you launch, I, I think the new standard is going to be that, that when your product becomes available in the country, that one, that is a decision that you explicitly make. And two, you're going to have to have both a, a good understanding of what the local issues are, as well as the ability to do a reasonable amount of trust and safety work in that language, um, in, in that, you know, with all of the, the, the quirks of the local culture and tradition um, and the ability to adjust your always American and Western-centric rules to the vagaries of various sorts of kind of cultural issues around things like what is hate speech, uh, what is incitement to violence, um, what is considered acceptable content in a lot of ways. And so I think that is going to be the natural thing. There will be side effects of that. Um, and But I think that is what we're going to see from, from here on out, because kind of the, the model of just throwing the doors open and doing a bunch of translation and, and seeing what happens is, has caused a lot of harm. Um, and I, I, it's unrealistic for people to launch everywhere at once appropriately. So we, we just need to kind of change the norms for companies to be much more thoughtful. So I guess this would be uh, kind of a thing for Alex, which is, this is something that having sort of seen what the company is willing to trade off and not, and this is something that popped up in the meaningful social interaction um, story uh, in which they sort of, you know, the family content, friends and family content that was helpful on an integrity point of view. And then the, um, uh, the like, let's just double down on engagement based ranking was deeply not helpful. Um, the gains that seem like they're possible in integrity from adjustments to virality seem like they're, you can get like a double digit, like percentage gain in integrity for a very, very low, if even full single digit percentage of, um, of virality and growth. Like all the growth metrics, it feels like, you know, just they're, they're stacked up. They, it's like they have a weighting of 10 X or whatever, you know, um, on the integrity metrics. And I, I was curious if you had a thought about the company's reluctance to give up, um, you know, like a half percent here or there um, in the interest of addressing problems. Cause it's something that I think is a little odd from the outside um, uh, to try to understand. Yeah. And I think there's a, so it, I mean, one of my, my challenges here is I'm not reading the documents as you are, right? So I'm just seeing these excerpts. Um, so I, I, it would be interesting to see the kind of the raw data on what this curve looks like on the, the trade-off. But like you said, there are probably trade-offs where you can drop a, a counter metric or a negative metric certificate amount um, with a little bit of, of give up. I, it's, it's either one of two things. Either this is continues to be kind of a conscious decision by senior leadership that in situations where they're given that trade-off, they're making the decision to always go on this side of engagement. Um, and that they're only willing to make positive changes that also happen to be neutral or positive to engagement, right? Like you said, the friends and family thing, reducing the number of outside links when you're dealing with kind of the fake news crisis and you're dealing with kind of low quality news links uh, might have beneficial in both ways, while well the kind of doubling down on engagement meaning something would not. I, it's possible that's like a conscious decision. I think the other possibility is that they have yet to change the way that you have. Um, so, you know, Ben Thompson, Shatikari talks a lot about corporate culture and how culture is necessary in companies to kind of, to allow everybody to know what they're supposed to do, right? Like, Corporate culture is important because it means a CEO doesn't have to go around and tell 50,000 people every single day of how they should make every tiny little decision. Um, and that there clearly has not been the shift 
there's a partial shift in the right direction in that the creation of the integrity units, right? That you have this kind of move of, man, we're, we're no longer, you know, when, when I was there, the struggle that I had a lot and that has been documented in a book um, that apparently has been sold to a movie. So now the favorite thing that my friends do is they send me uh, headshots of the people who could play me uh, in that movie. So uh, apparently Jonah Hill is the, the leading uh, among my friend group. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, in kind of my era, the big problem was not wanting to know, right? That like, it is better to not know these bad things are happening because um, now that we know uh, we're going to have to do something about it. And so that like the first stage of getting over that is, okay, we're going to decide to know. And so we're going to staff up these huge teams and we're going to hire all these people and we're going to study it. But then like the next step in a company like Facebook is you have to find a way to then integrate knowing um, first of making a conscious decision of we are no, we are going to accept a trade-off on all of the engagement uh, and use and financial metrics so that we can do something right here. And then second, building a system that drives that decision all the way down to the base level. And it just sounds like that has not happened um, at all. And, and I, you, you and I were talking about this on Twitter and I kind of, uh, you know, threw that out publicly that, you know, you, you get, the kind of the rules of metrics of metrics is that you you get what you measure and you bonus to the detriment of everything else. And so if you continue to make the product and growth teams uh, really you know have to chase kind of engagement metrics and you don't very explicitly set goals and everything else, then that's all that's going to happen, right? That's all they're going to do. Um, and that seems what's what's going on. And I you know I threw that out in Twitter in that conversation with you. Uh, and I can say that privately, I have a whole inbox full of uh, soon to be deleted signal messages of telling me I'm, I was absolutely correct that that continues to be the problem. Um, and so I think this is like on, on that side of the issues on the, you know, um, engagement story and on the Instagram story um, that like the, the first step was taken of let's decide to know, but then the this decision to like, okay, great. Now we're going to have to make actual sacrifices now that we know all the bad things that happened is not, which is obviously why, the people who are spending all of their time fighting these problems and writing these papers are motivated. If, if they can't have an impact on the product decisions that are being made, um, then they're going to have to leak it or get into big internal fights if they're going to have any impact. Okay, so this brings up my next big question because I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about what is inherent in human nature and what actually can be changed. You know, one of the biggest parts of scoops of the Facebook files is that Instagram knew that it was causing significant harm to teen girls' body image. Specifically, one in three women, uh, young women with body image issues, felt that Instagram made it worse, and that in some cases, up to you know 13% of users who had contemplated suicide uh, thought that uh, Instagram was in part a source, and that 40% of users felt unattractive or unwealthy or not not wealthy enough when they looked at Instagram. Now, my question is. Is there something you can really do about that? Like, are there knobs that you can tweak as a product designer? Are there things you know that you can try to make that better? Or is that just you know human like social comparison, envy, comparing ourselves to others? You know, looking at the highlights of someone else's life and comparing them to the lowlights of our lives and feeling bad about it? Is that just human nature and going to you know, manifest itself in every social network, pretty much regardless of what you do? Or do you guys think that there are specific interventions that could be changed here? You know, could it be that the you know with maybe the algorithm or the explore page or, you know, how you provide certain types of filters or don't, or, you know, augmented reality, uh, you know, selfie filters is, is, are there specific things that you think can be done to, uh, bring down this, especially if you did have the incentives, if you did have the bonuses here, are there product changes that you think could make a difference here? Or is this just human nature and going to manifest no matter what? Let me start out a bit with what they're actually like were being contemplated, the things that were being contemplated? Because I think the answer to that is yes, there absolutely are things. Um, I think the explore, explore is one thing. Um, types of content is another, depending on sort of if you want to um, perhaps skew things away. It would also be safety systems. You could, for example, stop showing people who seem to be going down rabbit holes a particular type of content. Um, that is, you know, if Facebook basically is developing technology to do nudges uh, for people who are, you know, seem to be getting into potentially like body image related rabbit holes, um, you know, obviously you could, instead of just giving them a nudge, you could just sort of start giving them something slightly different. I mean, whether these are, are good arrangements or not is, uh, it, again, like th there, there are a lot of levers, right? There's no shortage of levers with a product like this, but 
whether they are attractive, I think, is another thing. And with Instagram, there are some elements that they identified that were kind of innate to the product. Um, I mean, it, and this is perhaps more general to social media for this one, but that you're always going to see your friend's most popular posts and be comparing them to your average post. And there is sort of the inherent tendency toward being cruel to people online because you can't see their facial expressions, et cetera. But, uh, and I think like Instagram in particular, they recognize that body image like Instagram was very much about the body and about status in a way that like maybe Snapchat and TikTok weren't necessarily. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that those platforms do not have other problems, but um, I think, you know, Instagram was aware of some things that were specific to it. So these are, you know, these are choices, even if they're choices that are pretty well baked in. Yeah, I mean, I personally think it's really impressive when TikTok shows me a you know a video that's from the TikTok team that's like, hey, seems like you've been scrolling for a while. Like maybe you should probably go outside or just try doing something different. You know, I know Instagram has tested some like you're all caught up posts, but something more actually interactive, something that feels more like content that pushes you in that direction to say, I think I'm spiraling down a, like a self-abusive uh, path right now. I'm impressed by, by their willing to do this, knowing that they continue to rack up ad dollars when I keep scrolling. And I would like to see Instagram do more on this, that, on that front. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of options here that of all of the stories though, it's, I think the Instagram story is the one that's the most difficult to see a clear path ahead, you know, on the X check, it's just making decisions around and, and, and putting the right investment in those cues um, on the engagement. It's about making those trade-offs Jeff was talking about, about giving up engagement for, you know, double digit increases in certain or decreases in harmful metrics on the international one, it's actually quite difficult, but it, it you can do a lot better by um, increasing both the the content moderation as well as the investigation cues. And there's we can get into this if you want, but there's a there's actually a big difference in how you handle kind of general negative content and how you handle really organized adversarial groups such as human traffickers and drug dealers and such like that were in that story. And it's not about content moderation as much as um, investigation teams and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but the Instagram one is, is the toughest because it's the, the findings are, are come from the interplay of how the product is designed, but also kind of the overall influencer subculture that has grown up around Instagram, um, which the company has some influence over, but not complete control over, right? Like there's a, a huge kind of economic model around people selling stuff on Instagram where the money flows elsewhere outside of the platform. Um, and it's actually like, it's, I think harmful and gross and disgusting. And I, it like whenever I go on Instagram, I feel like an old fuddy duddy. Um, and so there, there certainly are things I think the company can do around that uh, and trying to show people positive content. Um, you know, our, our team did a paper where we looked at Instagram's application of certain policies and found that like around self-harm and then what's called Instagram, which is the, you know, uh, anorexic uh, subcultures and such on Instagram that there's like really inconsistent application, especially across different languages. Um, and so there is more that can be done, but I think that's going to be a tough one because you, there's now this huge economy, you know, with the Kardashians up top, uh, and then every doubt, everybody down below them of, uh, that is related to, um, you know, uh, just like very American ideas of, uh, you know, beauty and power and, um, celebrity that is now built where Instagram is the most important platform, but not the only one. Um, and so turning that ship, I think, should be pretty tough at this point. Kid, I'd love to hear your perspective on what can be done to actually reroute that. Because, yeah, Alex, I think you're absolutely right. Is that This was an emergent culture that maybe could have been, you know, veered in a different direction early. But now there's such a huge economy. So many people make a livelihood off of influence. So many people spend so much time. It's just ingrained in our minds. It, you know, it exhibits a lot of these kind of American ideals of success. Uh, and and now, you know, to be able to reroute people and say like, no, don't compare yourself against other people. Don't crave looking at, you know, this kind of escapism of looking at beauty and power and celebrity and wealth. You know, that, that, that to me seems really difficult to change. So, Okay, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your thoughts on are there interventions that you would suggest? Because I want I I do want these kind of talks to focus on where we can move forward. I don't want it to just be about framing the problem because the problem is bad. But I think we all know that. So like, how can we actually make uh, moves forward? And you know, if sometimes if the if it's press that does influence the the company, then maybe this is an opportunity to to talk to them, even if they don't want to be on stage with us yet. Yeah. No. Totally. Um. So. Uh... 
you know, when I was in seventh grade, I would go to my middle school library and, you know, I would check out books that were like, you know, I don't know, Wuthering Heights or whatever the hell, because I was an asshole. But then I also would, of course, spend like an hour just sitting and reading the copies of YM and 17 and all of the, the, you know, all of the magazines that my mom wouldn't let me subscribe to or wouldn't have in the house. And of course I'm not, I wasn't 17. I was like 12 because that's the people that actually read those magazines. And like there was, I remember it being a huge, huge um, issue at the time of it creating of those magazines, adding to a, like a pro anorexia, pro bulimia culture. I remember there was like discussion of mandatory BMIs for runway models. I remember Kate Moss was like being lambasted because she was so thin and like, I don't know. I, so I'm not trying to say everything old is new again at all. I'm just trying to say that like there have been these kind of issues. And I do think that to a certain extent, um, now instead of YM and instead of the magazines, um, you know, teen girls have created their own communities where they kind of do this to each other and follow influencers and follow each other. Um, I really, really think that there is a part of all of this that is like, that is, there is a thread through all of these stories that is, you know, the very idea of face, I know this is like not the most useful thing at this exact moment, but I, I really do think this is true, which is that Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook with this idea, making, you know, to make the world more open and connected, which is a descriptively neutral statement. It is not like he acted like that was an obvious good thing. And I think he meant it that way. And he still does. But that's not their, like their mission statement anymore. And yet that is exactly what they have ended up doing. And it has kind of held a mirror up to the world. We all kind of see the atrocities. We go down these rabbit holes, we do these things. And yes, these companies could do about a a million times more. But basically, that would involve a mission statement of making the world less open and connected. It would be a, a mission statement of like, let's kind of reel this back in. Let's give users more control over things. Let's dismantle voluntarily this business model. Because ultimately, if we kind of stay on this path, like, Either people will move on to things like TikTok that you're describing, where they actively try to make some type of intervention to get you to go outside or build that in. And people respond to that, trust the platform more, stay on it, engage in like smaller bursts, or maybe become more valuable users because they buy things through the ads on TikTok more often. Um, I just think that those are kind of ways that we're not used to thinking about this particular, this particular model yet at this particular scale. And I just think it would be really useful to start thinking about it like that. Talking about model, I think if you can go back in time, things would have been much better for Instagram if they actually had in-app, you know, in-app purchases or revenue share, if if they had more control over the financial model. Um, What happened is because you can't make money directly from Instagram of being an Instagram influencer, all of these business models have popped up of selling cosmetics or selling clothes or selling lifestyle brands um, that now the company has no influence over. So ironically, you know, YouTube with their direct monetization model and such uh, has more levers to pull here that Instagram doesn't at this point. So that might be an interesting direction to go to try to um, pull more of the commerce that happens into the platform where then there can be reasonable kind of rules about certain things, but it's, probably too late for that. So my question then would be, you know, are there other specific things, you know, we, we talked about the, yes, the, like, we would need to go back in time, but if we were to talk about other specific things that could be done here, I think the Explore page is another one. It seems like there is no understanding of what positive and negative content is. It's just tied to whatever is most engaging and whatever you engage with recently. You know, Jeff, in your story, you talked about users who, you know, followed a few fitness influencers because they wanted to get more fit. And then they were just sort of bombarded with content that made them feel bad about their bodies. And, you know, you can definitely see how quickly those algorithms can adapt if they think that there's something that you're you're interested in. Um, so I think, feel like that's one place that could be done. You know, another would be trying to set any more active limits on how much people could use. You know, I think there is a very obvious depressive uh 
pattern that people go through. And I know I do this myself when I'm low energy, feeling exhausted, feeling like I want to avoid something else in my life. I kind of cycle through my apps. I go to Twitter, I just browse that for a while. I browse TikTok for a while. I browse Instagram for a while, Facebook. And I come back to the first one. And I feel like it should be pretty obvious at this point what that pattern looks like and that they should be able to recognize that if you're doing this and you're not interacting, you're not, you're not liking, you're hardly liking, you're not commenting, you're not messaging, you're just doing this kind of zombie passive consumption and you're doing it in these short bouts and you're coming back and just doing the exact same thing over again, it seems pretty obvious that that's something that could make you, uh, make you depressed. And it doesn't seem like they've actively tried to identify what those patterns are and break them at all. They seem just willing to let you kind of be completely up to your own devices. And yes, maybe it feels a bit paternalistic for them to try to make those decisions about like what we can and can't do. And I'm not saying that the app should necessarily shut yourself off uh, I'm not saying that the app should shut off your access at some point, but it could definitely be a lot more forceful about reminding you that this is happening. Um, anything else like that that we could suggest um, uh, uh, that Facebook could actually try to improve some of these uh, these metrics? I guess something I'd raise is I think that, that, and this makes I think a lot of sense, particularly from the background of probably the folks who are listening, is that we have problems and there is a way to keep moving forward with even more kind of technologically sophisticated methods, right? You're basically talking about AI that would do reasonably good behavioral analysis of how you're clicking, determine that you are, you know, not doing healthy things and then sort of guide you. That's also kind of what you're describing passively scrolling looks a lot like TV. So, I mean, like, I don't know that, that like that is an inherent evil. It seems like kind of more of the stuff that, that we've been looking about is less about like whether the time is well spent or whether, you know, like people might be sort of wasting a bit of their lives than it is about sort of active harm. And so I guess I would say that like a simpler product has fewer ways to go wrong. All right. So I want to recap some of the incredible insights from today's show. And, you know, we talked a little bit about whether there's a moral imperative for whistleblowers inside these companies to instead of leaving and just sort of like taking the money and going to actually leak these kind of documents so that they can drive this change, especially when, you know, well, there's tons of research being done inside these companies, clearly through all of the documents uh, revealed through the Facebook files, that if there's not actually product teams built and bonused and, and you know, financially incentivized to improve these metrics, there's not going to get a lot, a lot of work to be done there. Um, and that, you know, the fact that Facebook knew a lot of this stuff, but was very obstinate about talking about it, you know, when they said, when, you know, when the CEO of Instagram was asked, you know, does this, you know, harm people? He said, oh, you know, it seems like it would, the, the harm would be likely small or that, you know, that there's not a consensus about what's going on. I think that this really does cast doubt on a lot of the public statements going forward. Um, but what we do know is that press drives a change for them. And so that and employee walkouts, it seems like employee rebellion and press are the things that are mattering and that user boycotts seem to, maybe it's that they're just not effective and they don't last and people are, you know, beholden to their habits and people say they don't want to use something and they stay right back on it. Uh, but that it's employees and, and press that's really being able to drive change or massive partners, you know, the human trafficking uh, international problem uh, has led Apple to say it would remove Facebook, Instagram for its app store if it doesn't make changes. And I think those kind of moral stands by other partners in the ecosystem can also uh, have, a real, uh, have a real impact. Um, and we talked about how, you know, since 2016, Facebook's been building these, you know, this integrity team, uh, but that, you know, if you look at the, the, the investment, yes, they may be investing $6 billion, $10 billion, even a year on some of this stuff, but the company's also making, you know, 50 or $60 billion a year. So it's in profits. So it clearly has the money to invest in some of these things. And it seems like things like XCheck actually having enough moderators to look through and personally full, have full-time moderators look at VIP's content or having enough moderators in international languages where there are significant problems and the standard is much lower and there, you know, much more problematic content seems to fly free on Facebook because they simply don't have the, the you know, the human power to be able to deal with this. That seems like obvious ways that a, a pure investment could really make a change. Um, though XCheck really is potentially necessary, as Alex talked about, that, you know, this is something 
something that uh, you, you can't just have presidents and you know huge public figures you know vulnerable to a random mob of people flagging their content to purposefully try to take it down even if it doesn't break the rules you need some kind of moderation system for that uh, that's that's deeper but it has to be properly staffed um, and that you know it's the question is kind of you know is it responsible to to make these kind of changes that yes you can have all this research in-house but you have to make the incentives available for people internally to be able to make changes they're not going to be able to do it unless their bonus depends on it. people just aren't going to work hard enough to make those changes and, you know as you say you 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 get what you measure and you bonus uh, but especially on something like in the the problems with Instagram uh, it's it's a lot more difficult you know maybe with the Facebook engagement problem it's a, a conscious choice it could sacrifice a little bit of the engagement that it racks up from outrage and sensationalism by you know just removing some of that from the feed or tuning the algorithm differently and if it's willing to take that hit then it could really make a, a big improvement on some of the safety stuff but other things like the Instagram problems with you know some of the inherent parts of human nature that are you know kind of ugly. The fact that we constantly compare ourselves and envy others, that we you know, crave escapism by looking at these things that we maybe can't attain, uh, and that an entire economy has been built around these vices, and that they're not new. You know, Television and you know, beauty magazines and things like that have existed for a long time, propagating some of these same uh, kind of un- unattainable standards. But you know, now that the, like a single company is really in control of the levers here, it feels like there's an opportunity for them to do more, whether that's reminding people when they're in depressed loops or doing things that look self-harmful uh, or just tuning things like the explore page to not show certain types of content even if it would be what would be most engaging to people you know I think there are a lot of opportunities here and yes you know maybe Facebook didn't start it wasn't none of this feels intentional I don't think people I think people who say that Facebook is purposefully evil are getting it wrong but the fact that it's not making changes when it could when it can afford to I think that's something that has to change and hopefully what we'll see coming forward and out of this is that new social networks that arise won't just launch in every country by default. They'll only launch when they feel like they actually have the staffing to be able to do proper moderation and that they will be a little bit, pay a little closer attention to some of the emergent cultures that divide, uh, that, that arise on their platforms because you know, it's so much more difficult to change them later. But I do hope that, you know, whether these, you know, that these companies don't take this as, oh, just a lot of people being mad about things that they can't change or in, you know, inherent human nature or that they sort of, you know, wall up and, and get defensive and you know, put up the you know, pull, you know, pull back into their shells but instead take this as an opportunity to say you know what it seems that the public is willing to endure us changing these products or even uh, the you know the shareholders would endure uh, changes to you know that could affect the stock price because they know that long term if this business is going to thrive for another decade it's going to have to make some of these changes because I do not think that a lot of this is sustainable so I'd like to give a final word to, to Kate, Alex, and Jeff. Maybe, Kate, you could start us off uh, before we close up today's episode of Press Club. I mean, I think that it's really brave. I mean, I want to also remind everyone that Alex, in some capacities, is, and, and is, has been a whistleblower, maybe not an anonymous one, but he's talked a lot about um, and about what his time in the company um, has meant, um, and that Jeff's story is today. I mean, I think that all of this makes us better informed to know what to ask for and to know what is possible and what is not quite possible and what is kind of like a not the right way to go about thinking about things. And I think that like this conversation that's happening around tech uh, and with people who have tech expertise and people who are lawyers and government officials just like couldn't happen soon enough. So, or like in a more sophisticated way. So hopefully that starts happening soon because of all of this stuff. Yeah. I was just say, I mean, I hope that this week, turns into a moment of change for kind of people at the top of Facebook. You know, I don't think that there will actually be significant cultural change until Zuckerberg steps down. Cause I think there's a, a real challenge in trying to get people to, uh, you know, when the, the core executive team have all been together for 10, 12 years, um, having them kind of readdress some of these basic ideas and, and cultural decisions is really difficult. Um, and you know, other companies have gone through this model where the founder CEO steps down and it allows the company to mature. And I think that's what's going to have to happen. But yeah, Mark uh, shockingly um, doesn't ask me for career advice. Uh, so uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you know, for folks who are at Facebook, this is a moment in which some change is going to have to happen because the, the other thing that's going on is even before this week of stories, I, I have been getting lots and lots and lots of messages from people who want to leave 
uh, you know, people who work on the integrity teams or the security team or the investigation teams are feeling very frustrated. So that the frustration that drove this leaking is being felt by a lot of people. And there's no way if you end up with these mass resignations of the people who are trying to study and stop these harms, there's no way you'll be able to address them. And so the company's going to have to move pretty quickly, I think, to signal both to uh, people on the outside, but also to employees on the inside that they're going to take it seriously. I suspect everyone probably knows what I'm about to say because I'm a reporter. And Josh, you definitely know it, which is that I'd love to hear from anybody who um, either wants to talk <laughs> or who, uh, hey, I'm doing it, um, or, or who wants to tell me I'm an idiot. Because um, I, I actually think, I mean, like one of the criticisms I get is that these things are, you know, cherry picked, quote unquote. Obviously, there's a lot of cherries in this instance, right? But I think it is important to hear from folks about, you know, who are on the inside and who may think that I am completely wrong. Um, so I'd be delighted to hear about that too in an off the record sense. And no, I'm not going to try to flip you. Otherwise, uh, thanks very much for having me. And if there's any News Corp employees uh, here who want to send me a signal, uh, happy to hear from them too. <laughs> My Venmo is open just like all the time, just so like everyone knows. And yeah, you know, I'm not a reporter anymore, but you can send me signal messages too. It sounds fun. Uh, but but <laughs> but seriously, I do think that the company has the capacity to change. I don't think that Mark necessarily needs to step down for that to happen. I think it's just a moment of clarity, a moment of reflection to say that, you know, the whole point of this company being heavily founder owned and controlled and the voting structure working as it is, is to allow it to make long term investments and to rather think of this rather than thinking of this as a, a short term problem, a PR fire to get past to instead think of this as a long term opportunity to make even more money, make even more of a positive impact in the world by making these changes now and saying that it's not, a, the tension is not that this is you know bad for investors uh, and good for society. I think it can be good for both uh, in the long run. It's just a matter of having that moment of clarity. So I hope that this, that Jeff's reporting in the Facebook files gives the company that. With that, I want to thank you all for joining us today on Press Club, where we bring together the big names in tech to talk about the big ideas. 